Work hard, play hard, and slay through the sweat with NUX Active. NUX Active is high-performance activewear that doesn't compromise in the chic. Located in Los Angeles, their diverse, women-operated team oversees every meticulous detail of the design process from the first stitch to the last shipment. They channel positive planet vibes through a commitment to using the best organic fabrics and recycled materials as much as possible. NUX Active is active fashion that flexes and fits like a buttery second skin. I just ordered the one-by-one bra and leggings in the color Rio. Not only is it gorgeous and bright, it makes me feel sexy and show off my brand new curves. Power through Pilates, strive for the extra rep in Nux Active. Run, don't walk over to NuxActive.com. That's N-U-X-A-C-T-I-V-E.com to check out the latest collection and energizing colorways. And as a gift to you, take 20% off your purchase with promo code EMOTIONAL. 20 NUX. That's emotional two zero NUX at checkout. Make positive moves with NUX active. Welcome to emotional support. Thank you for joining us. And now here's your host, You look so fresh, by the way. Like that main living is really giving you like a fresh, fresh skin. Like I can just see the sea on your skin. That's not part of this I'm podcast. Like a, I might keep it in because I just want you to know I'm that like and like be reminded of that. old lobster men <laughs> and like full yellow waiters. Um, I realized that... <laughs> Without giving away my daughter's name on a public forum, yeah, that like unlike her me, initials. <laughs> her initials are HH, and all the like fall weather girl up here is Helly Hansen. Oh my so gosh! Like all of the. So did you just purchase everything her, like, that says HH? Cute little waiters and like a yellow rain hat with like a. It's oh kiss. my god, Chef's kiss. Well, I'm so excited. She's ex- going to be sailing. She's sailing? Before anybody knows it. Oh, I was like, bad, isn't like, she a couple <laughs> months old? <laughs> five months old. Um, well, um, I really do appreciate that. No, Lady is going to be joining um, H- Double H um, on the sailing adventures because while she may not be sailing, she's really into yacht life and boat life and... I noticed this, that when we went to the Bahamas, um, because it wasn't clear in the video that I'm wearing a shell chain like such a tourist right now with a shell necklace. Um, But when we went to this one part of the island, it was like the yacht club. And I truly realized I birthed like a queen because her eyes lit up and she was like, Oh, this is where I belong. Like you can leave me here. And I was like, but I'm, I'm not there. And she's like, that's all right, mom, you stay put. (laughs) I'll see you in a few weeks after I summer. One look at a Hinkley sailboat and was like, yup, this is my life now. This is good. We're good. Thanks. (laughs) It's been great. Thank you so much for supporting me this first year, but we're fine. (laughs) I'm out now. I'm out. Well, speaking, this is a good segue. Speaking of support, I read um, an article when I was in the Bahamas and I was so excited to get back to LA so I could get here to meet with you to record because they just released, or was it an FDA approval? I have to read. Anyways, the um, postpartum pill that will help with postpartum depression. And it was just approved by the FDA and it is called Zeranolo. pronounce it. Zeranolo? <laughs> is that right? Zeranolo? So they rebrand the drugs once they get to FDA approvals. Ah, okay. Um, well, let me just, let me so quickly get, just right. explain what this is for people. Continue and then yeah, I'll yeah. do the. <laughs> so... It's called Zuranolone, and it was just approved by the FDA as an oral once-daily-dosed 14-day treatment for postpartum depression and major depressive disorder. It is a neurosteroid, a hormone that is active in the brain that works by affecting the action of GABA's receptors. I'm going to let you continue on. 
But I'll just say this. I was very, 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 very excited to hear about this because we have done many an episode since I've given birth, since, you know, you've had a baby where women have completely suffered from postpartum depression and postpartum, you know, mood and anxiety disorder and to the point of psychosis where we did that, that, you know, story about that, that wonderful, you know, young mom who took the life of her children because she was in a psychosis and she was reaching out for help. She was acting for help. Like she was, she was active, you know, and this is not just someone that was ignoring this. So these advances in medicine are very exciting. But now I want to ask you, like, what is this pill? What is it doing? You know, is, should it be more than just the first initial two weeks? Is it safe to breastfeed on this? Kind of be the the Dave, you know, Dirty Dave. Had, I'm going to say his name on here is Dr. Dirty Dave today. So Dr. Dirty <laughs> Dave, please help us moms out right now. Oh, boy. You're going to have to put your seatbelt on for this one. Let me tell you how I'm getting my feet summer ready. Soft, sexy, and beautiful. I am using Baby Foot, the original foot peel. It's the number one selling foot peel in America with nearly 30 million sold worldwide. They offer a selection of DIY at-home treatment products that are quick and easy to use. And the foot peel is a professional grade product at a price that makes it affordable to a wide range of consumer. It has won many beauty awards over the years and the peels are made with 16 natural ingredients. The gentle process leaves skin undamaged while removing this dead skin to reveal the fresh, healthy layer beneath like a baby's foot. Baby Foot qualifies as a clean product. They are also vegan, gluten-free, and cruelty-free. For my listeners, go to www.babyfoot.com and use promo code EMOTIONAL20 for an exclusive 20% discount. That's E-M-O-T-I-O-N-A-L-2. Zero. There's a series of disclaimers. Okay. As always, whenever I talk about drugs. Yes. Um, like whatever the equivalent of this is not financial advice for medicine is. Like ah, uh, okay. This is not I'm not advocating for you to take or not take a pill. Sure. I think that there's a lot of background that the New York Times has missed, that there's another like highly listened to podcast with two doctors that treat women with this condition mm-hmm. um, and they sort of they do a good job at talking about it from a clinician's point of view in okay my, you know opinion um, their job is to not make drugs but to prescribe them sure so they now have a new tool in their toolkit and Great. they're talking about how they're going to use that tool um, but I think there's this other element too of how a drug gets made what you actually need to know about a drug for it to get FDA approval, how we then get that drug from a bioreactor in some factory pressed into pill form into doctor's hands, and then how is it administered? Mm-hmm. Um, I have another disclosure in which the company that has developed this drug, Sage Therapeutics, I have worked for consulted with but not in a i've never received financial dollars i've never exchanged hands but i know a lot of people there they also make drugs in in collaboration with biogen which is another pharmaceutical company in the alzheimer's disease space so mm. like I, i've peered into this organization sure, sure. in ways that more people in the public might have so um I don't have an NDA with them. Just giving the people some background, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, so the people know, like, this is what it's coming from, right? Yeah. So maybe back in the knots of 2015 to 2020, mm. there was a lot of activity in neuroscience research looking at things called neurosteroids and neuropeptides. Mm-hmm. Rather than your canonical or classical neurotransmitter, serotonin, dopamine, glutamate, Kappa, all these things. Sure. Stereotypically, they're they're monoamine, chemically based, very similar sort of things that get released from a, a terminal of a neuron. They cross the synapse, they bind to a postsynaptic receptor, they signal. Like very classic neuroscience 101. 
then we started thinking like what could be the next generation of these drugs mm. there are neurons that synthesize peptides and hormones at the very end release them across the synapse they diffuse into to neurons or astrocytes or glial cells around other neurons and they have like biologically meaningful actions so there's a class of, of neuropeptides or neuro or steroids or you know that are, are therapeutically relevant glp1 being the most popular one mm. right now which is ozempic wow so there was a huge flurry of research that was going on in research and development within pharmaceutical companies as well as sort of academic right, right. research laboratories to say, can we synthesize specific types of molecules mm. that fall into this larger category of neuropeptides or neurohormones that get synthesized somewhere in the body, sometimes the brain, released into the brain, and then perform some biology, pull some sort of lever to, to change your therapeutic outcome. The original compound, how I know it and understand it, um, there are many people that sort of converge on this discovery at once, but the original molecule is called alanopregnanolone, hmm. which okay. is a real mouthful. But that core neurosteroid, neuropeptide, neuro whatever, th th there's like a, a, a umbrella term of name. Right. I will refer to them as neuropeptides because that's the most broad. Right. Um, this neuropeptide was synthesized, done a bunch of work in mouse studies, and was found to be what we refer to as a positive allosteric modulator of GABA-A receptors. Okay. Positive allosteric modulators means they do something to increase the receptor at which they bind. Okay. An allosteric site is not the binding site for the molecule that is named after the receptor. Okay. So there's a positive allosteric modulator of GABA-A. Okay. A GABA-A receptor, its primary ligand is GABA. Okay. So you've made a molecule that they think about like a lock and a key on a door. Okay. The I like that we're, we're, we're making this door. silly because I'm like, I'm not understanding. <laughs> I know because it's going to get deep and then yeah. we're going to pull, we're yeah. going to pull people back out. <laughs> just stick with it. <laughs> so a lock on a key. So think of it like a lock and a key mechanism. Okay. The receptor is the thing you put the key into. Okay. The drug is the thing that slides into the lock and then turns it. Right. A GABA receptor is the lock. GABA is the key. Okay. What you've done is you've made a drug that, that doesn't go in the keyhole. It binds somewhere else on the lock. Mm. And then it maybe makes it easier to turn the key and open and close the door. But it doesn't guarantee the opening of the key. It does not. It is a mm. probabilistic model of when a receptor and, and a ligand interact, when the lock is is in when the key yeah. is in the lock, the probability that you turn the lock and open the door is increased if it's a positive allosteric sure. modulator. Sure. And it's decreased if it's a negative allosteric modulator. Gotcha. Okay. So all the people refer to these things as PAMs. Positive yeah. allosteric modulator and NAMs, negative allosteric modulator. There's a whole class of drugs that are currently in phase one, phase two, and phase three trials that fall under this broad category wow. of allosteric modulators that are derived from neuropeptides. Okay. The space is monstrous. Everyone is looking at wow. them. This was sort of the first okay. where they figured out how it was working, what it was binding to, and why. Right, right. So when you think about what that lock might look like. Yeah. It's a protein. Sure. It's, it's a structure. And to figure out what that looks like in a normal molecule, like how it, 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 like it sits in the cell membrane yeah. of, of the neuron, and you sort of have to know what it looks like to understand how it might work. So there's mm. a whole research field of crystallography, which means taking that receptor that's normally expressed in a cell, in a little dish in a lab, and getting it to close as theoretical zero of temperature as possible. Mm. You freeze the molecule mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or you freeze the receptor, the protein in the membrane, and then you put it under a huge electron microscope or cryo-EM microscope. There's all these fancy techniques now. And you can essentially see at the resolution of atoms. Wow. Wow. So we know what the structure looks like. 
And for many receptors in the world, we have no idea what they look like. Wow. But for GABA-A, we know exactly what it looks like. So we got really lucky. And when I say we, I mean the royal we. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. (laughs) We made a drug that was a new type of molecule or a newer type of, I mean, people have known about these things since the 50s and 60s, but like synthesis, people actually doing research and development on them. We made a molecule. It bound a receptor that we have a pretty good understanding of what it looks like and how it moves. Uh GABA-A receptors, there's GABA-A and GABA-B. GABA-A are ion-gated channels, which means that GABA binds and they move ions through the membrane, so like calcium, potassium. Sure, right, we're right. All of these, like normal things that you would think of as electrolytes, essentially. Yeah. They move ions across the membrane. GABA-B receptors are G-protein-coupled receptors. They bind GABA and they do some signaling cascade Mm. downstream. They don't move any ions. So it's the simpler type of the receptor. Right. It's a drug that binds a receptor that we sort of have an idea of what the structure might look like. For people who listen to the news around AI and machine learning, AlphaFold, the big computational model that came out of Google DeepMind, what that does is it tries to predict the structure of these receptors. Like that's why people are so interested from a drug development standpoint, because we don't really know what these look like. Running a single experiment on a on a cryoia microscope or doing X-ray crystallography is in the ballpark of twenty to forty million dollars an experiment. Wow! So like these things are very difficult right. to do. They're very right. expensive to do. So we've sort of you've threaded a lot of needles early on in the drug development process, where right. you pick the right molecule, you pick the right receptor. It's the easy receptor, and we know that when GABA receptors are activated, what it does is it essentially shuts off neurons that are firing. What has happened is you have developed a positive allosteric modulator. This drug goes in the body, into your brain, it binds GABA receptors, and it turns their activity up. Wow. When you turn up the activity of a GABA receptor, what happens is not that neurons fire more, it's the opposite. Because when GABA binds the receptor, it turns them off. Right. So this idea around neurons being hyperactive, we make a drug that turns off that hyperactivity, mm-hmm. and then you see some psychological relief. Wow. The okay. most famous class of drugs that do this are benzodiazepines. And which are ben- like benzos you hear people Xanax. talk about. Xanax. Right, right. So what mm. this is is a long-winded tale of drug development Mm -hmm. that is a new molecule that mimics what we call a psychomimetic effect. Mm -hmm. You take two similar drugs, you take two very different drugs and you get a very similar psycho output that is Mm non-addictive, like the entire class of benzodiazepines are, that are safe to give to pregnant women. So it is safe to give to pregnant women and postpartum. Okay. And so then therefore it would be safe for breastfeeding. (laughs) You can ask questions now. And then there's like the the, the B part to this story of like, I've done the science part of this. So you understand that like, we've effectively spent a lot of research dollars in, in parallel with getting sort of really lucky around the drug we've made and how it's action works. Sure. To put together on a relatively short time scale. 10, 15 years of drug development yeah. when things usually take 25 to right. 30 to put together a packet of data that's convincing enough to the FDA for it to approve. It's huge. It's huge. It's huge. Now, we're going to get into the complicated part of this. But wait, can I ask my questions first? <laughs> Go for okay. it. Yeah, yeah. So I just have a few questions. So my first question is, how have they been able to test on people when it is for only two week period of time? For instance, let me just explain this. You know, um, I don't I don't know if they've been, they tested on people who were maybe prone to depression or such as myself, like live with bipolar disorder. I'm not sure like kind of where the research went in there. Mm-hmm. But for me, I will use myself as an example because I won't use other people. But I found that my, my postpartum, anxiety, which was very stressful. I wouldn't say I had depression, but I had severe anxiety. I still have anxiety, I think, because I'm breastfeeding and I'm like, you know, very sensitive and all that. It 
came, I would say, about a couple weeks after, I would say. You know, it wasn't the initial first two weeks, like where it was really scary because I think I was so numb the first Mm -hmm. two weeks. Emotionally, I was numb um, physically because I had had so much bleeding and so many complications and going in and out of the hospital that it didn't come till afterwards. And at that point, you know, after your six-week checkup, like that was it. And then no one else like yep. came to check up on you. <laughs> um, so I, I want to know, like, do you, maybe you know this, maybe you don't. Did they do the research on people who were already prone to this? Or was it, you know, so, how is how can we d- determine that it's just the first two weeks? Yep. And is are they prescribing women when they're in the hospital, like, Hours after birth. Is that kind of what this pill is doing? There's the Hail Mary pill, I guess, maybe. Sure. And there's like a larger, more complicated research history to how. So like I'll jump to I'll bury the lead here. Yeah. And you said it in the intro and I hate correcting you on this podcast, but I will do it. Correct me all you want. It has been approved the drug for postpartum depression it has not been approved for major depressive disorder ah okay and again same time frame we have this drug relatively cheap and easy to synthesize fantastic company not an endorsement and also sort of a disclaimer med medchem china dirt cheap to make and ship to the u.s wow very pure very simple to synthesize we got loads of this drug in research laboratories to test on a smattering of mice. We thought initially, again, the royal we, not me, we had a psychomimetic that was similar to benzodiazepines. It's a mechanism of action. How it sure. affected the biology was very similar to drugs that we knew a lot about that had a lot of clinical efficacy in decreasing anxiety and decreasing depression in a human clinical population, as well as in mice, monkeys, other Mm -hmm, mm researchers. You got like 50 years of research on it saying like these drugs do the thing and they do it well. The issue is, is people love to crush them up and snort them. They have horrible side effect profiles and their like liability for abuse is through the roof. When they realized that they had a drug that was similar, that was non-addictive, that was a peptide that had a really short half-life that had some other complications that we had to engineer around. Right. This drug has been on the market since 2019. It's like a good place to drop this. You used to only be able to get it in the hospital after birth Mm. through an IV. Oh, wow. The huge unlock with this drug is it's finally an oral medicine that you can take. Right. So it's not that this is a new approval for the first time ever for postpartum depression. What right. it is, it's a reformulation that allows more people to take it because mm-hmm. it's much easier to administer. Amazing. Amazing. Right. Rewind. We had a drug that we thought was going to be an anxiety and depression blockbuster drug. 20 to 40 to $50 billion at peak sale. Right. Like people were licking their chops when yeah. they figured out this one. <laughs> So what they did is in research animals, we have mouse models of major oppressive disorder, genetic mice that have been bred, mice that have gone through experimental, like environmental changes, restraint, stress, like these, all these sorts of depression models. You can make a mouse depressed for a lack of better words and anxious. They did that. They gave these mice the drug. There was a slight effect. But not enough. It like kind of worked. Right. Wow. And then they said, well, let's just look at the the mice by sexes. Yeah. Is there an effect in males? Is there an effect in females? Like sex is a biological variable. And they found that the effect was larger in females than in males. Wow. And then they drilled down even further. And they're like, why is this? Yeah. If you know anything about working with mice... The reproductive cycle of female mice, six to eight weeks. So in this study, they had mice that were breeding to see if it was safe to give to females who were of reproductive age. It's like a common thing we do when we test drugs to bring to the clinic. And then they found, they looked at this, you know, like did they shuffle the data again. And they're like, mice, after they had been given birth... This drug looks to have the largest effect in that time window 
right after. So we reversed engineered our way to there is something that happens in the brain post pregnancy Uh that allows this positive allosteric modulator to be more effective as a therapeutic than in biological females right. that are not reproducing and in, in your typical wow. sex as a category males. Wow. So it became more of a niche drug mm-hmm. where we were like, we know this works. For this. For this. This is the indication we're going to run with first right. because we know we have the largest biological effect to trial it in humans, get it into human clinical mm-hmm. studies, quickly accelerate the amount of money that we're pouring into this on the front end to get a drug market to start recouping. And then everyone's going to cross their fingers right. and say, is the little tiny effect that we saw in males in females of non-reproductive age and that like larger grouping, if we start to make some money on this drug because it gets FDA approval for, for women in postpartum, mm-hmm. then maybe we can run a clinical trial that's multi-site and large mm-hmm. enough that gives us statistical power to see if this drug is approved for major depressive disorder as a whole. So the idea behind drug marketing and coming to market is we're going to start with this little tiny population, make some money off of it, and then hope and prayer that it that when we run the bigger clinical right. trial that it will work. Right. What the FDA approved was, to my understanding, this drug is approved for, for post- on-label usage, mm. postpartum depression, and we have not determined its approval status for a clinical indication of major depressive disorder yet. Now, quick question. With this particular, like, medication, right, I, mm-hmm. I know that when it comes to, let's say, Lamictal, right, my bipolar medication mm-hmm. and other antidepressants, they always say it takes six to eight weeks before it fully kicks in and all this stuff. So what is it that makes this one like hop onto it that it's working immediately within That's 24 hours. Question. Part of the FDA approval process is you have a series of doctors, clinicians, people with PhDs like myself who sit on an advisory panel. The FDA approval process is a stack of paperwork. Yay big. They go through all the data, they meet, and they literally debate, Mm. should we let this happen? And some of those people on that advisory council said, specifically in the case for potentially using this as a treatment for major depressive disorder, that some of them were split on, we don't understand why it works so fast. It is not clear to us how this drug is similar to other frontline medications like SSRIs. Mm -hmm. Prozac, other drug medications that treat major depressive disorder. And therefore, we need more data to make our decision. Mm. So it's really unknown. Some like, I can give you some like comparative information that SSRIs, things that we give people as first line pharmacotherapies for major depressive disorder or anxiety, Mm -hmm. they don't work. In quotes, right. I'm doing air quotes for the. They don't they don't work for the things they're prescribed for, depression or anxiety relief, until around two to three weeks mm. of you taking them. If you're somebody with chronic pain that is due to nerve injuries, diabetic neuropathies, otherwise neuropathies, you know, chronic yeah. neuroinflammation, if you take an SSRI, it works instantly at pain relief. Wow. So it's not that these drugs sit around in your body and accumulate for three weeks before they start treating your depression. What it seems like it's happening is that there across time is some level of change in you take this drug, that drug starts to act on biological molecules, neurons, connections, how many connections, how fast things are firing across your entire brain and body. 
And that change over time, once we get out to like three weeks and you find a new sort of like homeostatic set point, yeah. you know, like if I'm depressed and then I take these drugs and it drags it up to here, right? like anything below the amount of change that need to happen in three uh -huh. weeks doesn't register as a relief in your brain or right. body or psyche as right. like, so it's not that these drugs aren't working in that time frame. It just takes a while for them to work. Now we have a new molecule class. Benzodiazepines work instantly. Yeah. So it might have something to do with the receptor that you're drawing. Sure. Sure. This this before it became an oral therapeutic. Oral therapeutics that are proteins are specifically difficult to make, to make and deliver because you have enzymes in your mouth that break down carbohydrates. So this this there's a whole there are many, many, many thousands of people who have degrees in biochemistry uh -huh. who are hired by pharmaceutical companies and divisions called ADME that work out drug metabolism, how much wow. drug you need to give someone to get a therapeutic effect, et cetera. Right, right. There's this concept called first pass metabolism. If you directly inject something into your veins, an IV infusion of a drug, your first pass metabolism is close to zero. You lose none of the drug before wow. it gets to the part of your body right, that it right. needs to. If you take something orally, someone might fact check me on this, but like first pass metabolism, you lose like 60 to 70% of your active compound because your mouth will degrade it. The acid in your stomach will degrade it. You'll pee it out. It will go straight mm -hmm. to your liver and your kidneys. So like getting... So that's why it makes sense. To go to receptors in your right. brain. It makes sense why they've been like giving it postpartum leap. in in the IVs. Yeah. Right. So that's the huge thing. And now people are like, oh, we have a pill that you can take. They're doing with this with Ozempic as well. So like rather than being an intramuscular right. shot, can we turn it into a therapeutic? You can take right. it to a pill. Now, people take it more. It, people take it more regularly. Is it safe to breastfeed on this? Uh, maybe. Right. But once again, so, probably not enough research because it's been. There's a there's a there's a type of study that is run in a clinical trial called a coral study. Don't ask me what coral I'm stands not. for. It's <laughs> an acronym. In that study, and it, I don't have the paper up in front of me, and I haven't memorized the data, so forgive me. But I do know that when they gave the drug IV, it might be a function of the drug going directly into your bloodstream. Sure. Because once it goes directly into your bloodstream and that metabolism is not there to clear a lot right. of the active drug. Right. It could be strong. It can be very strong. It could it could pool in your milk ducts. The drug might be present in detectable amounts from from a you know pumping or, or yeah. a baby latching and, and directly drawing. From an oral therapeutic standpoint, like it's comparing apples to oranges. Sure, like you don't sure. Now, right. So I think there will be a lot of caution mm -hmm. around this initially around breastfeeding because the previous drug it was advised that you did not breastfeed mm -hmm. when you were on it. Mm -hmm. Some of that clinical suggestion behind not breastfeeding as well might be due to the fact that you are like severely depressed. Right. Like imagine like to get this drug from a doctor in the hospital after you're given birth the signs and symptoms of depression that you must be showing 72 hours after birth must be so overwhelmingly obvious strong and of clinical importance so yes like, you might not be breastfeeding out of depression because you're yes not because there's a drug effect that you no, need to worry. so there's like parts of this that is important to tease apart where it's not a question of solely is there a, a level of drug that's present in my milk supply that is harmful for my baby, but rather that question plus a million other sure. things that go into a clinician being saying you should breastfeed on this or you should. Right, right. I think another question so that I have. So I think it's unknown. Right, yeah. right. Another question that I have is, you know, you were just saying you have to be at such a severe state of depression 72 hours after mm -hmm. giving birth. And like I said, I mean, I'm not the only example, but I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm going to use myself as the only mm -hmm. example, but I'm not the only example of, 
you know, there's so much chaos, especially when you give birth in a hospital, like there's just so much going on there. Then you're in the postpartum room and it's like, you're in a broom closet and you're like, how did I end up here? And, um, you're like, what is coming out of me? Like all kinds of things, there's right? There's like 60 floor, there's 60 rooms on the postpartum floor yes. with like four nurses. Oh, hundred percent. doing the best they can. And I truly, I mean, I have, I, I will be completely honest when it was 24 hours postpartum, I was hysterically crying because I, for one, excuse me, I was in so much pain. I was in so much physical pain. And because I had so much blood loss, they made me have Pitocin for 24 hours post, which is what causes contractions. So imagine that was happening. Yeah, 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 and yeah. I didn't have... Um, they couldn't get me medication until really late in the game. Um, so it's not like I was on pain pills and like everything was great. I wasn't producing breast milk and I was being yelled at by this one nurse um, who was awful. Um, and she was yelling because she was like, you need to, you know, take it yourself and squeeze and do the." And I was just, I was just a basket case. I was crying and I was like, Sturgis, just get me the fuck out of here. You know, like that was where my yeah. mind was at. It's tough, yeah. And so I wouldn't say that I was depressed because of, you know, the postpartum depression. I was depressed because I was like, I need to be home. There's such a sense and urgency of wanting to bring your baby home home in the comfort yeah. of its own safety the nesting behavior and the nesting yeah. behavior. So I guess my mm -hmm. question is how can they determine, you know, what is postpartum depression and like what happens if it hits, like I said, like with me with the anxiety yeah. weeks afterwards, you know, I, I think that while I'm very excited that there's an immediate pill that can help people. I think that's fantastic. Don't get me wrong. What terrifies me is that, I know that I lied in my postpartum check, you know, in the hospital of like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. Cause I just was like, get me out of here. Right. Um, here, and yeah. I'm scared you're going to take my baby away. Even though I'm over here preaching and hearing this, my, my fear is that women do go home. They don't speak the truth because we're scared that you're going to take our baby away. And then what happens? We suffer in silence. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, what is something that, that can kind of ease this? Would it be if it was like an over the counter thing that maybe you could tell your partner yeah, or I you could tell a parent? Actually, this is actually a good point of like people go to hospitals and if you're not trained in medicine, you don't understand how it, the act of, of medical care happens. It's yeah. like performing in many ways. Sure. So what has happened now and what will now happen in many medical schools across the United States is that because you have a drug approval that has an FDA on-label approval yeah. specifically for postpartum depression, Yeah. what happens is every medical student and every resident in the United States, when they learn to do a diagnostic in postpartum care, is they will think, oh, we have a drug to treat this thing, which means that the thing I'm treating is real. Right. And that removes a lot of stigma. Mm. You look at cases of drug approvals for diseases right. or illnesses and you can essentially time align when did the drug that treats the illness come on the market yeah. and when did the stigma reduction happen? Wow. The most famous case is antivirals in HIV AIDS. Right. The thing that reduced stigma around AIDS was not for everyone's better attempt to, to market the transmissibility of the disease, to not turn it into you know, a, a, a disease that only occurs to people that don't believe in Christian values and faith. Like that stigma reduction campaign did not work. What worked was a medication mm. that convinced the medical field that this was a real disease. And now we have a treatment option and it no longer became AIDS wards and HIV wards of, of, you know, movies that you see of people wasting away in New York city hospitals. Right. We don't have an antiviral treatment. Those wards go away. These like people that. become normal members of society again. Stigma goes away instantly. Right. So to your point, this pill can be a sugar pill. It does not matter. Right, right. right. From a 
clinicians are going to be trained to listen to you now mm -hmm. because what this does is it formalizes a way to treat postpartum depression and it and, and it started to do this in, in 2019 with the iv infusion and sure. stuff but like now that you have a drug that is very simple to give that you can send patients home with that you don't have to keep in a hospital that stigma is going to go that away. gets rid of your charting and paperwork that you know yeah. it makes medicine doing much easier yep. and now people will be like oh when someone comes in you swab the back of their throat and they come up with strap a you give azithromycin for six days twice daily you know what and I mean? that's like, it and like the boom. diagnostic yeah. workflow now what happens is it trickles down and you're the person who just gave birth in the postpartum room you no longer have to lie on that sheet anymore because people won't judge you that is, is that's what's that's the why the drug right. matter right 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 it doesn't matter if the drug is a blockbuster drug that makes sure. sage and biogen billions of dollars what matters is, is that clinicians will take this seriously now. Mm -hmm. The way that care is administered will be much different. And that alone, without even giving the drug, will help people who are feeling depressed or anxious post-birth. And like the icing on top is like you have a drug that actually might work. Right. And I think what's so also- So now you have clinical benefit on top of all of those right. things that you never had before. Well, and I think At what's exciting- Oh yeah, sorry, go ahead. That people will get it. And like I that think- is, That's the thing that matters. Yeah. And I think what's really exciting too is like living with bipolar disorder or living with depression. And I have a lot of friends who I know gave birth that, you know, chose not to breastfeed afterwards because they were afraid of postpartum depression, you know, maybe being triggered by that. And they wanted to get back onto their, you know, medications, you know, for their mental health and for their well being because they made the choice. I know that I need to be the best version of myself for my child. And mm -hmm. this is the choice that I'm going to do. I think what's quite exciting about it is, you know, not knowing like, not being like, oh my God, I'm 100% going to take this, but knowing, okay, you know what? If I see a little slight, you know, thing that might be a feeling a little off, mm -hmm. I know that there's something that's not going to take six weeks, that it's going to immediately start happening and helping out like in, in the immediate response. Um, and I think that that's very exciting for those of us who are in the, you know, mental health world that are already living with it. And I think it's also something that's kind of been, I, I say this because I saw a lot of people who are new moms who did not have any mental health um, issues beforehand and suffered afterwards, they were posting and reposting the postpartum depression pill. So it's kind of just, like you well, said, I it's destigmatizing, it's bringing awareness to a different kind of, you know, world. I think it's exciting. Yeah. And I think it's tough because there's two things that I sort of feel like I need to touch on here. As yeah. Somebody who operates in some capacity as a, as a, advisor for public health the current estimated numbers of postpartum depression and anxiety they're currently coupled i believe they should be uncoupled it's an opinion that hopefully will play out in medicine over the next 10 years because there are a lot more people who are anxious mm -hmm. about keeping their babies alive that becomes clinically relevant to treat than there are people who are depressed just like mm -hmm. flat out depressed and the anxiety part is much more difficult from a clinical perspective to, to get your arms around and understand. Uh -huh. But that's like a huge gaping hole in medicine we need to yeah. address. So to your point, not to call your friends liars, but they're no. lying. That one in seven number of people that experience postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety is probably closer to one in four, mm. one in three. But because there's so much stigma... People around identifying publicly there's so much blame shame contamination proximity effect all of these things the weird ways in which like the sociology of this all plays out what you get is people self-report that data is much lower levels than yeah. so this is a larger public health problem than we perceive and the only way to actually perceive it correctly is to make drugs for it mm -hmm. which is like the weird world we live in yeah but it is the world we live in the number for postpartum depression in males, like dad depression, you're starting to hear a lot more. One in ten. Yeah, and I believe like it's, it's actually a lot more. Probably much closer to one in four, one in five yeah. too. Yeah. 
So like you've created a clinical therapeutic that is that is on label for treating women, people who are female that give birth. Yeah. And this doesn't even have to be. This is like they they there are people in this study who are surrogates. Yeah. Yes. And, and like they still, you know what I mean? Like every iteration of biology and sex and gender on a spectrum has started to represent it here. And like because you have a drug that goes on label for many people's minds will be prescribed to biologically female cis, yep. you know, like your your old classical view of pregnancy. What's going to happen is because the stigma reduction is going to be so strong around that drug is that males who are never going to be prescribed this drug are going to start to come out of the woodwork. Yeah. And the number of one in 10 is going to start to go way down. It's going to be a topic of conversation. Right. Right. So the, the drug is a stigma reduction mechanism, I think is huge. I right. think your friends are liars. I think many more people than lead on. I think are, you're so are, right. Are yeah. Doing that. And an unrelated, but related note. The people would be mad at me if I did not mention the fact that Sage Therapeutics wants to charge an epic amount of money for this thing. They do? They have not released the price yet. And let me tell you something. When a drug company doesn't release the price of a medicine- It's going to be out of control. Astronomical. 10 grand plus. No. David. It has to be. But it can be. The new Alzheimer's disease drug that just came out from Biogen. All over the news. $36,000 a dose, my friend. So insurers are going to have to figure this out too. Wow. And, and yeah. As much as I hate them, I will give them credit that there are, are people that I know in the industry who are on the insurance side of this ballpark. Right. Who are starting to understand that preventative medicine. And this is not like really preventative medicine in the way that you would think about sure, preventative sure. medicine. But investing in these sorts of treatments, like the big thing is the Ozempic cardiovascular story came out yesterday. People who take Ozempic who aren't diabetic, who are just obese. So like we got the, 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 the obese version of this. The rates of stroke and cardiovascular events are down 20% on people who are taking this drug. Wow. Like that is preventative medicine. That is preventative so insurers, medicine. So like insurers are now grappled with the aspect of like, do we pay right. for everyone in the world who wants these drugs to have them, this astronomical cost, realizing that people are going to live longer. And instead of showing up to the emergency room for a triple bypass surgery after having a heart attack and incurring a cost of two and a half to $3 million when right. all said is done to treat that. What if we just paid the $15,000 a dose? And then those people wouldn't have to have that $2 million wow. cost run out. Wow. On that. So it's so all a just like a circle of event. Right, right, right. So I think that there's a lot of rethinking specifically, and I can't speak to this drug for this indication, no, no, no. But, but, but I think that insurers are starting to realize that these drugs cost a lot of money. They're not going to cost any money, less amount of money anytime soon, but maybe we should cover them at higher rates or higher percentages right. because keeping you out of the emergency room for postpartum depression not only helps you stay healthy, but it helps your baby stay healthy and insurers number one cost is babies for people that aren't old are newborns. So if it helps you stay healthy and a second order effect is your newborn does not show up to the emergency right. room or primary care sick, they save money by prescribing you. Wow. Wow. So this drug, I don't know what it will cost. It will be wildly expensive and it it'll be easy sense to make and thousands of dollars to take and everyone will get rich yeah. in the process and this is no way an endorsement of how we no. decided to do drugs in the united states but it will be expensive and that will be a, a question of who will benefit from these drugs right. it will largely be white upper middle class citizens which is not how it should be no absolutely absolutely not but the reality of the situation in the near term is that that is who it's going to be. And we need to have a much bigger discussion about that. But this is why I harp on the stigma reduction mechanisms so much, because even if you're not someone who's getting prescribed this medication, just because right. the fact that it exists and doctors are being trained to understand this is how you do diagnostics, you're going to be treated with much more seriousness around right. filling out those forms around what is my current state of mental health right. after, after right. I delivered right. a baby. Well, 
but I, by no means is that close enough of a no. know, consolation prize to just being like we should solve the insurer issue. No, but I mean the, one you know, step at a time. I would not be doing my job if I didn't note the problematic approach here. Yeah. These drugs are wildly expensive and insurers yeah. don't want to pay for them. Correctly. Yeah. Well, David, I thank you as always <laughs> for coming and helping out little old me understanding these, um, you know, big things. But this was something that was really exciting to me um, when I read it. Um, and I just couldn't wait to come back home and, and, and talk about this. There are so many more topics that I feel like we have to touch on. I just want to quickly say to those who are out there who are listening, thank you so much. And if you have any questions for David specifically, please send a DM. I'm going to do another Insta story with questions um, because I think it's so fun that we get to answer so many people's questions um, all the time. And ha we have your brain to explain these things that like, Silly me doesn't understand, and I know I'm not the only one that doesn't understand these things. I had the experience of somebody who I taught in class, uh -huh. like a graduate level yeah. biochemistry class, had listened to this podcast <gasps> and was like, it's like listening to you lecture. Oh my God, stop <laughs> like, it. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. Well, I hope it's a good thing, and I hope that they left a five-star so review. Slides. Oh, wait, lady wants to say like, quickly hi and bye. Hi oh, to the friends. Hello. Hi, girly. Hi to our friends. Oh yeah, you like Hi that microphone? The... Can you sing into it? Ooh, she's 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 straight from the Bahamas. We have matching you matching, matching matching necklaces. necklaces. Can you say it's thank like you so much to everyone to, for listening to the podcast and to leave lots of reviews? Yeah, yeah. Let's say goodbye to everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.